Hey, uh, welcome again to Faith. Uh, thanks so much for being with us today, whether you're here in person in the room, whether you're joining us online today on the live stream, we are glad to have you with us uh, as we're in the midst of our series, uh, Big Ten. Uh, more on that in just a moment. We'll get you caught up with what that's all about if you've been away for a bit or if you're joining us for the first time. But as we get started today, we want to take a minute and invite God to be part of this with us. Uh, so would you pray with me, please? Father, thanks just for um, just beautiful weather, just an opportunity to be with one another, to worship, to do community, to just enjoy church. Uh, Father, just I want to pray this morning specifically uh, for Tamara and for John, Barb Coslow's son and daughter-in-law. Father, just thank you so much that as they have been uh, figuring out what is going on with her with regards to the cancer, that um, things are looking clear on the margins. Just as Tamara and John are awaiting uh, reports from pathology and waiting to hear what kind of treatment they're going to be doing, Father, I pray that you would be with them that they would sense your presence, that they would sense your peace and your strength. And God, we just pray just for good results on the tests that they're awaiting, that um, treatment would be easier and that it would be effective. Fathers, we continue in this series. We pray that you would open our minds and your hearts to you and to your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So again, we're in this series, Big Ten, and, and we're almost to the end, all right? So you, you almost made it, just a few more weeks to go. And if you're newer and you're going, what's this all about? Uh, what we are doing in this series is we're exploring together God's Big Ten, specifically the Ten Commandments. And ideally, what we are seeing in each week is that in the Ten Commandments, we've got more than a bunch of old rules that are trying to restrict our freedoms, but th that instead, what God is actually doing is giving his people foundational principles that don't restrict freedom, but then that, that instead they free us to live our best lives. That they are designed to protect us from the very things that would destroy us in life. And so each week we're just taking one of these commandments, kind of unpacking it, trying to see that this is what we have going on here and, and see what God is trying to do in our lives. So this week we're on number eight. Who can tell me what the eighth commandment is? They all shall not steal. Very good. Have you broken that one recently, Mickey? Have you broken that one recently? Never. Good. <laughs> Never, she says. Next week, next week for you. All right. So, um, uh, <laughs> just worked out great. All right. So, you shall not steal. All right. Now, here's the thing about the Eighth Commandment. It's easy to get the Eighth Commandment and be like, I'm good. Like, I, haven't, I didn't knock over a convenience store on the way to church today. I did not embezzle funds from my company this week at work, you know, like I've never robbed a bank. It's easy to think of the big things that qualify as stealing and be like, I'm good on this one. Here's the thing about the Eighth Commandment. Um, there are just, there are principles in life that tend to run beneath the surface. There, there are factors that relate to this commandment that tend to be kind of sneaky and insidious and you don't even realize they're going on in your life. And all of a sudden, when you begin to think a little bit differently and more deeply about this, 
you can see where the Eighth Commandment might have more relevance beneath the surface than, than we think it does when we just look at it on the surface. So to try and illustrate this today, what we're going to do is we're going to turn to a narrative uh, from the book of Joshua, chapter 7, and we're, we're going to just kind of work through that narrative and think about three concepts as it relates to the Eighth Commandment and stealing. Now, in Joshua chapter 7, just some backstory here, things are going incredibly well for the Israelites, right? They have already defeated multiple kings on the east side of the Jordan. They have crossed the Jordan River and done so miraculously on dry ground. Their enemies are scared to death of them, and they've already defeated Jericho, arguably the, the, the strongest city in the nation, and they made it look easy. I mean, they, they walk around the place for a week, the walls fall down, they come in, then they take over. So in, in Joshua 7, we find the Israelites, everything's going well for them, and now they're at Ai, and things get a little dicey. Joshua gets to Ai, and he basically sends some scouts to go and check the place out. And they come back, and they're like, Joshua, this is no big deal. You don't need to worry about this place. We don't need to send the whole army. It's pretty small. Send like 3,000 guys. Give everybody else a day off. In fact, like Joshua, we've been watching you take notes. I don't know if you're like writing some kind of memoirs. This isn't even going to be worth the print. It's going to be a piece of cake, in and out, done, move on to the next place. So Joshua sends 3,000 men to Ai. And instead of being this easy battle where they win the war, you know, take over quickly, the men of Ai, even though they are a smaller force, they rout the Israelites, they kill 36 of them, and they send the remaining guys running back to camp with their tail between their legs. Now, when Joshua and the Israelite elders get news of this, they have a bit of a meltdown. And they pray this out loud, publicly, they pray this really encouraging prayer. Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan? To deliver us into the hands of the Amorites? To destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord, what can I say now that the Israelites what can I say now that the Israelites have been routed by their enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our nation from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? Now, if people have suffered a loss and you're trying to get them to go back out there and try again, this isn't the prayer to pray, right? You know who Joshua sounds like here? He sounds like the previous generation. The, the one that got to the Jordan the first time and refused to cross. Generation was always made, you know, like, God, why'd you bring us out here to die in the desert? See, some of that, some of the previous generation's dysfunction is working itself out in Joshua right now. Now, working itself out or not, God doesn't want to hear it. And God lets Joshua know he doesn't want to hear, and he tells him why they had the problem at Ai. God says to them, he's like, listen, listen, the, the Lord said, stand up. He said, Knock it off, right? What are you doing down on your face? I'll tell you why. You didn't get defeated because they were so much better than you. No, Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. 
You see, prior to getting there, God, God tells the Israelites, listen, this is how this is going to work. When you, get to, when you get to Jericho and you take the place over, we're going to do this differently. Normally, the conquering army gets to keep all the spoils of the battle. The gold, the silver, the bronze, whatever they find, it's theirs to keep. God's like, listen, when it comes to the conquest of Canaan here, you're going to tithe. You're going to, do, you're going to practice first fruits. The first city that you take, all the stuff goes to me. All the valuables, you're going to put them into the temple treasury. And then you're going to trust me that I'm going to deliver the rest of the cities and you get to keep the rest. I get the first part, you get everything else. You trust me with the first part and then you trust I'm going to deliver everything else to you. Now everybody knew this was the plan. And everybody was down with the plan except a guy named Achan. Look at your neighbor and say, Achan. Yeah, Achan's not down with the plan. He knows what the plan is, but he's not down with the plan. Now, want to stop here and just consider our first concept as it relates to the Eighth Commandment and stealing. All right? We're going to have a conversation about this. We should probably make sure we're on the same page when it comes to definitions. All right? So for the sake of our conversation today, here's how we're going to define stealing. Stealing is what I treat what isn't mine as though it is. Stealing is when I treat things that aren't mine as though they're mine to treat that way. God tells Joshua, this is what Achan did. He's like, they have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. Anytime I take what's not mine to take as though it's mine to take, anytime I treat something that isn't mine as though it's mine when nobody gave me permission to treat it that way, I'm stealing. And, and this is what Achan did. And this is why the Israelites get their, you know, just get punched in the mouth when they go to Ai. Which is kind of crazy when you consider not only were they told, hey, this is how it's going to work with Jericho, but they were told what would happen if they didn't honor what God had told them. Like they were told, listen, you're going to go to Jericho, all the stuff goes into the temple treasury, and really bad things will happen if you don't do it this way. Like in Joshua chapter 6, right before they go into Jericho, Joshua tells the people this. He says, the city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she, did, uh, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into the treasury. Then Joshua said, oh, you're too far there, Johannes. You just got me to keep going. All right, come back a slide. Thank you. All right, so... You just keep reading. It's right there in front of you. Achan knows. Like, before they walk into Jericho, Joshua's like, hey, this stuff is God's stuff. Don't mess with God's stuff. If you mess with God's stuff, bad things are going to happen. But Achan takes the stuff anyway, which begs the question of why. Like, why would he do that? When he knew, like right before they walk in, he's told this is how this is going to work. Why would he do it that way? Now, we get answers to the why in, in the next concept that we're going to consider. 
So, so let's go back to our story, and, and we're going to get to it, right? So Joshua and Israel elders, they, they just kind of come apart at the seams, right? They're on their face, they're crying, they're complaining like the old generation. God's like, hey, knock it off. Get up. You've got a problem because you've got a thief in your midst. And then God tells them how he's going to help them find the thief. He basically walks Joshua through this, you know, put everybody's name in a hat, draw the names out of the hat game. And so they put all the 12 tribes of Israel, their names into a hat. God says, you draw one out, I'll make sure the right tribe comes out. Out comes the tribe of Judah. He's like, put all the, the clan names from the tribe of Judah into the hat, draw one out, I'll make sure you get the right clan, and they draw out the Zerahites. He's like, put all the, the family names from that clan in, draw one out, I'll make sure you get the right name, and they get the, the, the name Zimri. Then he's like, hey, you put all the family, like the, 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 the fathers, the head of the households from that family into a hat, you draw one out, and out comes Achan. And Joshua's like, all right, it's you. Right? Joshua says to him, he says, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done and do not hide it from me. And so Achan, I mean, he's busted, right? So he fesses up. He says, It's true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. And then Joshua says to Achan, he says to him, here we go, why have you brought trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. And, and from there, like trouble comes for Achan. Like serious trouble. It gets ugly for Achan. It gets ugly for his family. And, and that ugly and the implications that go with it are a whole nother sermon, a whole nother day. What I want to do instead is just go, okay, why? Like Achan was told this is what was going to happen. He did it anyway. Why? There are a number of reasons probably why Achan did what Achan did. And a number of reasons why God told Achan beforehand, right there in the Eighth Commandment, not to do what Achan did. For example, one of the reasons Achan probably took what wasn't his take is he figured, no one's going to know. Like, I'm going to get in there, I'm going to get this, nobody's going to see me, nobody's going to hear about me. Like, I can keep this a secret. Now, did his wife and kids know? Maybe. Probably. I mean, he's got the stuff buried in the floor in the family room, right? I mean, see me, he's digging a hole, and his kids are like, Dad, what you doing in there? Nothing. Never you mind. Go on outside and play, right? I mean, he's got, is it buried in the family room there? Chances are they knew, which would make them accessories with Aiken of what he was doing. But, but Aiken thought, nobody will know. What Aiken failed to realize is that God always knows. Like Achan can fool some of the people some of the time. He can fool all of the people all the time. But he's not fooling God any time. When Achan convinced himself, I can keep this a secret, nobody will know, he convinced himself of a lie because God always knows. And in doing so, Achan robbed himself of a clear conscience. See, the minute Achan took wasn't his to take... Even if, he, even if nobody saw him, 
Even if you keep his wife and kids, you know, to, to keep things quiet. Even, I mean, there's always going to be this low-volume conversation going on in the back of Aiken's mind. No matter how well he did this, no matter how well he thinks he can keep the secret, in the back of his mind there's always this low-volume conversation, you know, and it's, it's saying things like, what if somebody did see me? What if my wife and kids talk? What, what, what if I get caught when we move? We, we move camp around a lot. i got to dig this up and bury it every time. And then Joshua announces to the whole community, hey, God, we've got a thief, and God's going to help me find the thief. And that conversation goes from the back of Aiken's mind to the front of Aiken's mind. And they start drawing names out of the hat. And it goes from a low-volume conversation to a much, much higher-volume conversation. And by the time they're drawing his name out of the hat, that conversation's screaming in his head. See, if Aiken had just left alone what wasn't his, who cares what anybody sees? It doesn't matter what anybody says. They can draw whatever names out of that hat they want to. He's free. His conscience is clear. But when he took what wasn't his to take, he robbed himself of that. Or another reason that Achan did what he did, maybe, is this. Achan wanted what he wanted, and he wanted it now. Achan wanted what he wanted, and he wanted it when he wanted it. I, I did a little bit of research on the stuff Achan took. No idea what the robe is worth. I checked eBay, I checked Marketplace, Craigslist, I couldn't find it, right? The gold and the silver, today's market value, about $40,000. Now just stop and think. How many hours would you have to work to clear, like after taxes, 40 grand? How long would it take you to earn 40 thousand dollars free and clear or if after church today you know like i i don't know holla opens the vaults and just drops forty thousand dollars in your lap right like what could you do with forty thousand what could you buy where could you go how could that change your life see Aiken looked and he's like it's going to take me this long to earn this kind of money. I could do this, that, and the other thing with this kind of money. And he was like, it's right, it's right for the taking. I don't have to wait. I can have what I want, and I can have it now. And so he took it. But in doing so, he robbed himself. He robbed himself of the satisfaction of having earned it. He robbed himself of the satisfaction of having earned it. When I was in high school, I was not following Jesus. That's an important detail for the story I'm about to tell you, all right? Um, I was in high school, I was not following Jesus. I also worked at a pet store, a fish store, which was a really cool job for me because my dad and some of my nerdy friends, we had um, fish tanks we collected and bred and sold tropical fish. In fact, at one point, my dad and I had a fish room in the house. It was literally a room. All four walls were covered floor to ceiling with fish tanks, all right? Just a nutty thing, whatever. So I'm working at this fish store, 
one of the better stores in Metro Detroit, and they did a really good job of getting in desirable tropical fish. And so it was not uncommon for me and my nerdy fish friends who worked at the store to be standing in the showroom looking at fish in the store's tanks and wanting those fish for our personal tanks. And I'd sit there and I'd, I'd see a fish in it, you know, and I'd be doing the math in my head. Like, how many hours at minimum wage am I going to need to work in order to purchase this fish? Now, from time to time, I would figure out, I was not following Jesus, I would figure out ways, and you see where this is going, to get the fish from the store's tanks to my tanks without paying for them. In short, I stole them. Now, it's a fascinating thing. My nerdy fish friends and I, we, we do this weird thing where like every now and then we'd go out, get dinner takeout, and then for hours sit in front of our fish tanks and just watch fish like it was some kind of riveting TV show, all right? <laughs> Whatever. I could discern the emotional response, the different emotional response I had to the fish I had earned and the fish I had stolen. I'd get these things as little, little baby fish. You'd grow them up. They'd pair off. They'd breed. They'd make babies. You'd sell the babies. You'd make money on the babies. There was a sense of satisfaction, a sense of pride that came with the ones I had earned. As much as I wanted it, I didn't have that same sense of satisfaction with the ones that I had stolen. I'd, I'd rob myself of that. In the book of Proverbs... There's this ongoing conversation that compares and contrasts the, the diligent and the sluggard. So, for, for example, in Proverbs 14, you read, All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. In other words, if you want something, quit running your mouth about it. Talk's cheap. You, you, you want the promotion, you want the degree, you want the weight loss, you want the, the success. Get out there and do it. Earn it. Work for it. Quit talking about it. Do something. Or Proverbs 16 will say, better a little with the righteous than much gain with injustice. In other words, yeah, you, you can sidestep things. You, you can take it without having earned it sometimes. But you're better off with less having earned it than with more having taken it. You're better off with less being able to be proud of it than you are with more needing to be ashamed of it. See, when Achan took what wasn't his to take, he's trying to sidestep truths like these in his life that you just can't sidestep. He robbed himself of the satisfaction that comes with knowing he's earned it. One last reason I think Achan did what he did. I think Achan felt justified in taking it. Like as, as he sees the stuff, there's this narrative that he plays in his head. Where he says things like, you know, there's tons of plunder here. This is just a drop in the bucket. Nobody's going to miss this. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm just going to take it. Or Aiken told himself things like, you know, I work hard. I work really hard. And I don't get compensated justly for the way that I work. I've earned this. In a roundabout kind of way, I deserve this. 
There's, there's this narrative that goes on in his mind that helps him justify doing what he's doing. But in doing so, Achan robs himself one last time. He robs himself of the self-respect that comes with integrity. See, with integrity, I treat you the way I want you to treat me. That's part of what integrity is. And it's, it's a funny thing. So often, folks can justify why it's okay for them to take what isn't theirs to take. But when the roles get reversed, the justifications they apply to themselves, they're less likely to apply to people who are taking stuff from them. We'll use me as an example for this again. All right? So working at the pet store, I'm not proud of it, but there were times where I took what wasn't mine to take. And I, the narrative would run in my head. They got all kinds of fish. They got tons of fish. They're not going to miss a few. Business is doing just fine. I'm not hurting anybody. I, I work hard here. I have a knowledge base that's required to sell the right fish to the right people so that, you know, I won't sell you some piranha and eats up all your guppies, you know. Like, I, not everybody can do that. And I'm only making minimum wage, which in that day and age was $3.35 an hour, right? I'm not being justly compensated. I've earned this. In a roundabout kind of way, it's like a bonus. I deserve it. I justified it in my own head. Now, I can remember one day getting off of work, going out to my car, getting in my car, and things are not like I left it. Like the glove compartment is open and emptied out, the, the, the center console's been turned over, just stuff's everywhere, and I'm like, what happened in my car? And then it dawns on me. My buddy who I'd given a ride to work left the passenger door unlocked, and somebody robbed me, right? Like they took all the change that was in the center console, which was really not a big deal, but they took my watch. My grandparents had bought me a nice watch and I'd taken the watch off and I left it in the car and I went and worked my shift and I came out and some dirty rotten filthy sticky fingered crook had taken from me what wasn't theirs to take which incidentally grandma sherry if you're on the live stream today and you and grandpa bill used to wonder why doesn't michael wear that nice watch that we bought him all right it's because somebody stole it and I didn't have the guts as a kid to tell you that somebody stole it right Somebody stole my watch. Now, I'm sitting there in the car, just incensed. And here's the thing. Like, if you've ever had somebody steal from you, right? We were talking about connection questions earlier today, and James was like, I got my connection question. Look at the person next to you and tell them you've ever stolen something. And I was like, <laughs> maybe we can ask you ever have someone stolen from you. He, he eased it up even more, right? But like if, you, if you've ever had something stolen from you, you, like you get it. There's this, how could they? Where do they get off? They have no right. We're incensed. We're, 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 just, we're, we're, we're furious with that. We're like, this is not okay. Sitting there in my car, I was feeling that full on. All the reasons that I used to justify taking what wasn't mine to take, I didn't apply any of those reasons to the people who took from me what wasn't theirs to take. I robbed myself of the self-respect that comes with integrity. One last concept that we want to 
one look at, then we'll wrap this up. Last one is the how of stealing. Like, if, if we're going to steal today, how do we go about doing that? Because, again, it's super easy to go, okay, it's the big stuff. You know, like I didn't break into my neighbor's house, steal their television, their stereo, all that kind of stuff. I haven't stole anything today. And hopefully you haven't done that, all right? Um, don't do that on Sunday. Wait till Monday. Um, again, it's easy to be like, the big stuff, that's stealing. If our definition is correct, if any time I take what's not mine to take, if any time I treat something as mine when it's not mine and I was never given permission to treat it as mine, I'm stealing, now there's a scale. And sure, we've got big things, but there's a scale that includes the smaller things as well. So for example, if I'm at work and I'm getting paid to work and I'm not working, I'm stealing time and money from my employer. And I can justify that. I can be like, well, hey, I don't get paid enough. I normally work really hard. Normally I have a really good work ethic. I deserve a little break today. But how would I feel if I was the employer? How would I feel about paying somebody not to work when I'm paying them to work? Or if I've got my friend's login and password? The Yulu and Disney Plus and Netflix and whatever other streaming services hot and bothered today. It's, it's, it's super, you know, I'm like, they're making money hand over fist. If they, they didn't want me to do this, they shouldn't make it so easy. We split the cost. I'm still taking what I didn't pay for. That's not mine to take. And if I had a business and I was trying to run that business, again, how would I feel if somebody was taking my product and not paying for my product? And I never gave them permission to take my product without paying for my product. See, if, if stealing is when I take what's not mine to take, and all of a sudden there's this range that includes all kinds of things like work and taxes and giving and digital formats and more. All of a sudden the Eighth Commandment has all kinds of relevance in my life. Later on in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul reiterates the Eighth Commandment. He says it this way. He says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. In other words, hey, if you're taking what's not yours to take, stop it. Instead, they must work doing something useful with their own hands. It may take longer, it may be harder, but earn it. Get it the right way, Paul says. Because Paul knows when you get it the right way, it frees your conscience. It's clear. When you get it the right way, there's, there's a sense of satisfaction and pride in what you have. When you get it the right way, you, you, you can look in the mirror and you're okay with the person looking back at you. And when you get it the right way, it changes the relationship between you and stuff. See, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm taking stuff any way I can, whether it's the right way or not, my stuff becomes all about me, and it tends to own me. When, when, I, when I get stuff in a way that honors God, I own my stuff. That's why Paul ends the way he does. He says, so that they may have something to share with others in need. See, when my stuff owns me, I become greedy. When I own my stuff, I'm able to be generous. 
And when I get stuff in a way that honors God, it changes the relationship that I have with my stuff. And when I get stuff in a way that dishonors God, again, it changes the relationship that I have with my stuff. My stuff owns me or I own my stuff. So Paul's like, hey, anyone's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. They need to do something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Would you stand with me, please? Father, just as we've taken time and thought about this commandment today, God, thank you that when you've given us these commandments, you're not trying to ruin our fun. You're not trying to weigh us down. You're trying to set us free. You're trying to protect us. God, just help us to see how you're trying to give us consciences that are free and clear. That don't have to, don't have to worry about who says what, who sees what, what names come out of the hat. God, help us to see you're trying to help us have a sense of satisfaction and pride that comes only when we've earned it. God, help us to see you're trying to help us be people of integrity. People who can feel good about themselves because they've treated others the way they want to be treated. God, give us grace to see where we've missed this. God, give us grace to live more fully into it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.